0: The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. I said
1: I'm going to live right on the line. A dollar bill is a friend of mine. We need money. We need money. We're talking about money, money. AM 1220 KDOW presents Money 2.0. Money 2.0. Now, shedding light on your portfolio and helping you make it grow. Here's certified financial planner and Money 2.0 host, Chad Burton.
2: Welcome into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. We have reached C-celebrity status. That is definitely a for sure thing because I've been told prior to coming on the air that the producer of the show was actually recognized at the Fremont Cork and Bottle. I mean, can we get any bigger than that? I don't think we can. I think we're making it. You know, next stop is definitely CNBC and Bloomberg. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you want to get your calls in there, if you have a money question, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. My name is Chad Burton, certified financial planner. I've been in the business for maybe 20 years next August. Started with my grandfather at a very young age, so specialized in wealth management and retirement planning because I started with, at a young age, but working with older people. So developing strategies to create income in retirement and systematic ways to peel gains on portfolios to make sure that you have a balanced portfolio, but you maintain that balance and peel it at the right times to maintain your safe money and to maintain your income in retirement. A little bit later in the show, in fact, I'm going to go over. actually fairly decent uh, article that I found on CBS Market Watch on 12 questions to ask before you retire. And there's some good questions. And the worst one is a lifestyle question, so stay tuned for that. But today for the show, I wanted to start the show with a few listener questions. Try to catch up on a couple of listener emails. If you want to email me a question, if you're too shy to call in, again, the call-in number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. But if you're too shy to call in or you're driving, you want to be safe, pull over shoot me an email chad at chadburton.com that's chad at chadburton.com and uh this email i'm not sure the name the the kind of the email handle is basically mojo cali and uh, mojo cali sent me an article on that that she wanted me to comment on called i guess mojo cali could be he too um, called Asset Location, the new wealth management value add for optimal portfolio design. And it was, I'm expecting to see a date on the article of about 2008, because we've been talking about asset allocation and asset location for a long time on this show and when I talk uh, with Rob Black in the morning on 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on this station. And so, you know, I guess we don't talk about it enough. So I'm going to talk about asset allocation and asset location. I've got to kind of go over basic asset allocation first before I can talk about it because asset location, especially in light of the recent tax changes, is important. You can basically up your return according to Morningstar by about 15% if you invest, invest tax efficiently. So I'm going to talk first about asset allocation. And here is kind of a portfolio that I, the most common portfolio I see as a wealth manager, because you know I, we at had, had New Focus Financial, a company, you can go to newfocusfinancial dot com to find out more about my wealth management company. But we have you know an account minimum, so for most of the people in their twenties and thirties and even forties, they don't really need bonds or fixed income. I, we try to tell them to invest, get some international stocks, some domestic stocks, small cap, mid cap, large cap and save 15 to 20% of your pay, and you'll eventually be wealthy. Systematic saving is what's important when you're young, and starting to save when you're young is gonna put you way out ahead. I've seen people that make less than $100,000 a year with much, much larger portfolios than 50 and 55 year olds making $300,000 per year because number one, they started saving when they were really, really young, at just simply ten to fifteen percent of their pay, whereas the fifty-five year old making three hundred thousand just tended to spend everything and is now finally realizing that they're making a lot of money and there's there's there, there's no way they're going to maintain their lifestyle unless they save twenty to thirty to forty percent of their pay and work till they're seventy-five years old. So starting early is a key to successful investing. So when I start managing wealth, when I when I tend to do risk tolerances on people and and try to find out you know what makes them feel comfortable, um people that are in their 40s to 50s, you know, sometimes in their 60s if they're a little bit more aggressive. The average kind of portfolio I see is what I call a balanced growth portfolio, which is typically 70% stocks, 30% defensive or fixed income. So to talk a little bit about that type of a portfolio, what does that consist of these days? A 70 growth, 30 defensive. Well, if we look at the 30 defensive, we're going to typically have about 24% in investment grade bonds. Okay, and that could include California munis if you're in California or in Washington, you know, more of your national munis, Oregon, Oregon Munis. State budgets are looking a little bit better. I don't think there's any major risk if you're in the shorter duration investment grade munis, that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. So if you're in a fund where they're managing the duration, it's under seven years, it's investment grade, and that can include your munis, it's twenty four percent of a portfolio that's like that. Then you get about 18% in corporate or absolute return funds, um, certain funds where the manager has the freedom to, to kind of go anywhere inside the U.S. So that some of them might be a little bit of junk, maybe 19%, 20% into in higher yield bonds, um, a little bit more freedom. And I tell you what, if you wanted to try to do a lot of this with one company, um, you could look at someone like PIMCO. If you want more information on on different types of unconstrained funds and uh, PIMCO total return, those types of funds. It's not a recommendation because I think a lot of those have have rallied and I don't want to recommend anything. But I'm trying to give you an idea of what goes into that type of a portfolio of 70% growth, 30% defensive. All right, so then you would get uh, 22%... In large growth, five percent small and mid cap growth, ten percent international developed stocks. So in in not I'm not talking about emerging markets because I'd want twenty percent overseas, ten percent international, ten percent emerging markets. That's what I would be looking for. So I'd split my emerging mar- my my international almost evenly between emerging markets and developed countries. Okay, and then I have about five percent in um alternative funds. And those are things like commodities, real estate, those types of things. So, you know, and I think I started off the saying 70-30, but what I meant to say is 60-40, which is your balanced growth portfolio. So again, to, to hit that in the right way, of my forty percent that's in bonds, 24% investment grade bonds, which you include your Moonies, 18% in your corporate and uh, absolute return type of bond funds. Of the 60% in equities, 22% large, 5% small and mid, 10% international developed, 10% emerging markets, and then 5% alternatives, like commodities and real estate. So that would be a a balanced growth portfolio. A balanced portfolio is exactly 50-50. A balanced growth is more like 60-40, which is what I'm talking about. It's kind of more the most common type of portfolio that I see. So... The next step when you're talking about, okay, here's your asset allocation. You're an investor that wants a balanced growth type of portfolio. What does asset location mean? Look, if you are saving all the time, you should hopefully be saving in various types of accounts. You should have taxable accounts. You should have your IRAs. You should have your 401ks, maybe your Roth IRAs. So then you have to say, okay, I'm putting together this pie chart but the pie chart's not going to look the same in every single account because certain assets do better in certain locations. So for example, if you're trying to invest correctly and if, you're, if you are uh, you know, wanting to pay Uncle Sam the least amount of money possible, why would you own corporate bonds or mortgage-backed securities in your taxable accounts if you don't want to pay taxes on the interest? Interest rates are low enough, so hold them in the right spot. So what I mean by this is target your taxable accounts. Your taxable accounts should mostly be your large-cap-oriented stocks. So if you're investing in things like the iShares, I'm talking about like IVV and, and uh, OEF, you because know, the, the, you can buy so many iShares in almost any brokerage account now and get large, broad-based, large-cap exposure with ETFs and not pay any trading costs – or if, you want, if you're a Vanguard investor, things like your S&P 500 fund, that should really be what your large cap. If you need bonds in your taxable accounts, that's where you look for your municipal bonds, your state tax-free bonds in your taxable accounts. Now, in your IRAs and 401Ks, that's where you hold all your other types of bonds, as well as your alternative funds. And when I say alternative funds, I mean things like, like I said, commodities, real estate investment trusts, or REITs. RWR is an example of that. All that stuff pays dividends and interest, and you don't want to pay taxes on it until you need the income. And also, the other things that should go into your your retirement accounts, the accounts that are automatically tax-deferred, is things like your emerging markets and small caps. So if you're lucky enough to be evenly split on your retirement accounts between pre-tax 401ks and then Roth IRAs, I would stick my more conservative bonds and slower growers in my retirement account and my 401k and pre-tax IRAs. But I want my ross to be the most aggressive when I'm continuing to save. So that's where I'd want my emerging markets and my small cap. They're going to be much more volatile, but in the long term, they should outperform. You typically get paid over a 10-year period a little bit more to take that extra risk. So you've got to look at once you put together, once you say, what type of investor am I? Okay, I'm a balanced or a a balanced growth type of investor. I know I need 60% equities, 40% fixed income. Where do I get my fixed income? Again, I want to concentrate on my retirement accounts there. Where do I get my small cap and emerging markets? Retirement accounts. Where do I want my large cap, my muni bonds? My taxable accounts. So you put it all together so that you can maximize your asset allocation but minimize your ongoing taxes. Now that's extremely important because anybody that's getting that's got adjusted gross income, modified adjusted gross income now of over 250,000 married or 200,000 single, you are now subject to that 3.8% Medicare surcharge tax on either the lower of your investment income or your your actual income over the amount It gets a little bit confusing. So we can thank the politicians for adding you know a lot more pages to our tax code in December when they passed that bill. And then if your taxable income is over four hundred fifty thousand or four hundred thousand single, you are going to pay a higher capital gains tax instead of fifteen percent. You are going to end up paying twenty percent. So you, you've got to realize that when you are investing is also think about Uncle Sam. And don't forget to rebalance because this is a real interesting rally. We'll talk a little bit more about this after the break, but just to get into it a little bit, the, it's, it's an interesting rally, to say the least, because we've got a Fed that's pumping money into the system, which tends to el- elevate equity prices. We're getting good economic underpinnings. We've got a great jobs report on Friday. Let's hope that trend continues Q4 in terms of earnings was f- fine. I mean earnings was up about six percent. Revenue came in better than I expected, so we had better expectations on revenue growth, but we've got negative numbers for the Q1 estimates coming in. i'll talk about more about that after the break if you want to get your calls in there eight hundred 1220 we 'll be right back.
1: This is Money 2.0 on AIM 1220 KDOW.
2: Welcome back into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad, certified financial planner. Want to get your calls in the area, 800 That's 800-516-1220. I almost had to stop there for a minute and put my mic on mute as I almost choked on a Girl Scout cookie that I couldn't resist. There was a box sitting here next to me. I was actually going to start another round of P90X, but then my daughter got her Girl Scout cookies delivered, and I kind of put that off. So, I think Girl Scouts are evil, but they're so good. I want to get your calls in there? Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Producers tell me he likes to tag alongs. Nah, I'm I'm a Thin Mint guy. I cannot resist them. So. Let's go to the phones. We've got. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure who we have on the air. Let's let's just go to the phones. Producer, put them on. Got a question for me? Oh, it's Ron. Ron, how are you? Hi. How are you? What's your question?
3: Uh, my question is about this bond fund. Um, I gave him the simple. Do you need it again, Chad?
2: Um. I, did I? You've got the Franklin California tax free income fund. Yes. Um, okay. And and what's your?
3: Oh, uh, my question is. Um, heard you and. Listening to you and Rob Black in the morning say we should cut back on those bond funds, so I was thinking, good. This is uh, about roughly about 20% of my portfolio. Chance, should I start selling half of it, or just? Or well, okay? I don't
2: think we said that we should cut back on it. The the type of funds that I am not a fan of that you should cut back on is longer-term government treasury bond funds or just basic government bond funds. This is a this is where it's trying probably confusing. This is a California which of course seems like it's government. This is a municipal bond fund though. It's state specific where your income is going to be uh, tax free at the state level. So that's different from bond funds that are invested in US government treasuries. All right, but now if you're you're investing in the Franklin California Tax Free Income A fund? Oh FKTFX, is, a t- is yeah, the ticker F-K-T-F-X,
3: something? FKTFX, yes, sir.
2: Okay. Now, are you buying more of this? And, no. And is how- it,
3: um, well, no, I just, because all the dividends, it been been um, reinvest, cash so just buy more shares. So I guess I am buying them back, buying some more, because every time they get a dividend, it's a, it's a reinvestment thing.
2: Gotcha. How old are you, Ron? Uh, 50. Fifty, okay, and it's twenty percent of your portfolio. What percentage of your overall portfolio is in bonds?
3: Um, basically just this and some 401k, some small percentage bonds.
2: Oh, okay, so you're only about twenty to maybe thirty percent of your overall portfolio in bonds. Uh huh.
3: Probably less than thirty though, Chad. Mostly, mostly S and P.
2: Well, I'm not sure about your risk tolerance, but that means you're still investing in a growth-oriented you know type of investment here. Okay. Um, the reason why I was asking about the ticker symbol is and the the share. It's an A-class share, so that means for people that buy this off the street, they pay a 4.25% load to get in, which is yeah. insane. On doing that with a muni fund, where you know your yield is in the three to four percent range.
3: Uh, it was a lot of politics involved this deal.
2: <laughs> gotcha. You got what I'm yeah. saying, Chad? Or, I mean, I think you'd go to a different note shop if you're going to buy more California munis. I don't think that, you know, this is a a reason to sell it right now. Okay. Look, because here's the issue. Especially in California, people's taxes are higher. So you will go through periods of time if you have certain jumps in interest rates where for a short period you'll see this net asset value, you know, fall because people get scared and they get spooked. Right. But – the Fed's going to be here for a while. They're not going to exit rapidly and super quick where you're going to see interest rates double in, you know, a year. Yeah. I don't see that happening. Okay. So I, I wouldn't buy more of this, but I wouldn't be in a, a huge threat to, um, you know, sell down. It's only 20% of your portfolio. Yep. So it's it's not a big deal at age 50. Um, what I What you might consider, if you feel like you're too conservative... Mm-hmm. You know, rather than reinvesting those dividends, you might use those dividends to invest in more equities somewhere else if you're trying to get more growth.
3: Yeah, that's my next question. So you say don't don't reinvest the dividends. That's what I'm, that was my next question.
2: Well, it depends. You know, so you need to look at your overall financial plan and say how much are you trying to achieve in fixed income or in bonds. Yeah. And um, when you when you in, reinvest your dividends in a loaded fund, you don't pay the load. Right. You the load when you make that initial investment so I would not make more new purchases
3: oh no that won't happen again don't worry um, I don't care it's family else. I don't care it's family <laughs> no more no more
2: family I see I see but uh, yeah if you feel like you're underweighted in equities and you're trying to get take that interest I mean I would say hey if, if, if you feel like you're underweighted in equities you could tell Franklin to send the dividends and interest, well, it's just interest, it's bonds, to your checking account each month, and then turn around and invest monthly in, a, in an equity-based mutual fund. Right. It's in the position you have, but not grow it if, if you don't want to continue to own that fund. It seems like the fund is a little bit of a sore spot, so why, you know, instead use the interest to grow other assets rather than let that asset grow?
3: Understand, understand. Yeah, like I said, this is um, a lot of politics in this deal, so...
2: Gotcha, gotcha. we got to take a break, but thanks for the call. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. That's 800-516-1220. Or shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. We'll be right back.
1: This is Money 2.0 on AIM 1220 KDOW. Welcome
2: back. I Want to get your calls in there? Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. That's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. If you want to shoot me an email, you can go to my website newfocusfinancial dot com. That's newfocusfinancial dot com. By the way, for those of you that missed the webinar, the retirement boot cap webinar that I did last Wednesday, um, next week it'll be available for download on the website. You can watch it there. So, if you have an hour of time, we give a little bit more on this version of it of kind of market update and. Uh, you know, we're kind of at this transition point because our politicians who are complete idiots and there's no leadership in Washington, don't get me started on this, but you know, the sequestration in terms of a number is not that big of a deal. If they can come up with a grand bargain in terms of solving this debt problem over 10 years and we know that the Fed will eventually exit the purchase of, buy- of bonds and do it over a slow period of time, And the Federal Reserve will take all these bonds as they mature that they've bought and give it back to the Treasury to pay down debt. There is a potential that we could be in the next bull market. There really is. If there's a solution to the debt. There has to be a solution to the debt. Until then, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. And until we see a good growth in revenue from U.S. companies, again, still cautiously optimistic. So I'm still... You know, very weighted in equities, but I like to pull gains when they come. I like to rebalance portfolios and be very, very diversified and have a little cash on hand for, for good corrections because we haven't really had a good one in a while. And it's been an interesting rally because we're finally seeing out of the last ISM reports and jobs numbers, some improvements, some underpinnings to the economy that show what what, what's going on in the economy is is the economy's taking over rather than the Fed take it, taking over. So, so far we've seen a rally that's kind of first rallied up on what the Feds have done and then rallied up because earnings did well and now will we continue to rally based on economic underpinnings being good? And we'll, we'll see. Q4 ended up better than expected. Earnings up about 6% overall in the S&P 500. Um, Revenue up 4%, which is better than expected. It was only supposed to be up about 2%. However, earnings growth, which is estimated for the first quarter of 2013 versus the first quarter of 2012, because it's always a comparable. You're always, when you get those earnings reports in and the comparables, it's always comparable to the same quarter last year. That's how the market works. How did we do versus the same quarter last year? And so far, the estimates is coming in at negative 0.6%. So if the final number is negative, it's the second year-over-year decline in earnings for the S&P 500 in the past three quarters. So we've kind of been able to beat that, but what the pro- the problem is is that the revenue, the top line hasn't been growing fast enough, but the, the earnings, which is after your expenses, that's, like I've mentioned the last several shows, the companies are lean and mean. They've been buying back shares. They've been refinancing their debt, cutting costs, Will productivity continue to increase? Will margins stay where they are? That's the big question. Meanwhile, in Asia, which includes China, you're, you're, you're kind of having the opposite problem. Companies are reporting better than expected revenue growth, but their costs are increasing due to labor. Now, if you've been listening to me um, with doing Rob Black, the morning show host, for years and years, I used to talk about a guy named Stephen Roach that... But really, this this whole outsourcing thing is only a matter of time. Eventually, people will will demand more wages, and that's what you're starting to see. So what the thought is, oil prices, now that they've come down and the, the labor costs will settle out, many of the emerging markets will start to do better in the second half of the year. So with this all said, don't forget to rebalance. You've got to think globally. If you look at some of the companies that are real successful, you're talking about more than half their revenue coming from overseas. And so if if you're you're looking at your overall portfolio, the U.S. stock market has outperformed the emerging markets this quarter by quite a bit. China, for example, and that that doesn't, it's kind of not been the case recently. So now's the time to potentially rebalance and look at some of those international positions. I'll talk about that coming back after the break. If you want to get your calls in there, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. We'll be right back.
1: This is Money 2.0 on AM 1220
0: KDOW.
2: Welcome back into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burns, Certified Financial Planner. So we've got uh, year-to-date the S&P 500 up, oh, what, a little over 8.5% or so basic uh, stocks that pay dividends, that increase their dividends on a global basis, kind of the dividend achievers internationally, they're up about 5%. Meanwhile, you have uh, some emerging market funds typically up about 25 to 4.5% or so. China is pretty much flat year to date, and any of the managed Chinese funds, but some of the basic Chinese stock ETFs, really down about 1% or so. And when you look at a fund, let's say – and this is not a recommendation because if I'm going to invest overseas, typically I use uh, managed funds because, for example, in China, I don't really want to have a lot of financial exposure because I don't know or trust the banks. I'd rather have companies that are really specifically uh, targeting the, the growth of the consumer in China, not the outsourcing that's occurring anymore but the actual growth of the consumer there but you can look for you get P ratios of like around 10 in GXC which is the S&P 500 China spider and a yield of 2.06%. Meanwhile, if you look at spiders which is the symbol SPY here in the United States, you get about the but a P of about 14. So now we're to the point where the Fed pumped up the market kind of got it ahead of the, of the earnings and then earnings kind of caught up. Now we're getting some good economic underpinnings, but really kind of in that fair value range for stocks. Now you can see stocks get pushed up. Jeremy, um, you know, a guy that kind of is tied to wisdom tree. uh, um, I can't remember where he's professor at, but, um, it's just spacing, spacing. He, you know, he calls for when interest rates are this low P/E ratios to expand to 18 to 19 times earnings. So he can see, you know, he's a much bigger, bigger, more bull market. I think investors have been burned enough that they'll be a little bit more concerned about that, but it is a global economy. So think globally. If you've got a lot of gains in your portfolio right now from U.S. stocks, especially on the large cap side, and you're looking at your overall portfolio and you only got 5 to 10% international exposure, rebalance, peel some of your gains in the U.S. and and realize that, you know, younger people that are even all in equities, you might want 20 to 40% emerging markets. Even conservative people that have kind of like a 30% stock, 70% defensive exposure, of their 30% stocks, they might want a good 10% of that in international exposure because the growth is occurring overseas. And that's why a lot of the companies in in the S&P 500 are making over half of their revenues overseas. So you got to think globally. Don't just get concerned or excited about investing just because of what's going on in the U.S. And the last thing you need to do is start making rash decisions it's because you feel like you've missed something or you feel like you're about to get hit with something. So if you've got cash and you're feeling anxious, just still, you know what? Remember, in about a month from now, last year, the market declined 9.9%. Just a quick correction. I think it was a you know, I think that one was on Greece or something else. Europe still has the same problems. Europe is still a mess. We all know that. China's doing some tightening to help slow down their uh, kind of basic wealthy people. Uh, really putting real estate bubble type of a situation all of those are known but they tend to come in waves and, and affect the markets during the same time of the year so if you've got way too much cash it's not working for you come up with a three to six month dollar cost averaging plan to get it to work and take the emotion out of it another email question that I wanted to cover today this one's from Victor it's a chat I listen to you and your and Rob Black shows every morning and enjoy them very much I have a quick question on traditional IRA in March, I opened. In March of 2012, I opened and funded early my 2012 IRA for five thousand dollars. Today, I found out when I did my taxes that only four thousand two hundred thirty is deductible. So I like this, and Victor gives me some some multiple choice questions uh, answers to choose from. So he says, my question is number one: Do I need to contact the brokerage firm to remove the seven hundred seventy bucks back to my tax account, or can I just leave the seven? Seven hundred and seventy over contribution in the traditional IRA and and leave it as a non deductible contribution. Or number three, to keep it simple, should I just close the IRA account altogether and open a brand new one for thirty forty two thirty? This simple situation, Victor. And on this one, you've already made the contribution. Um, you, you didn't do anything wrong. It's only that seven hundred seventy is non deductible. So when that's, that's the danger that people get put into when they fund their IRAs or their Roth IRAs early in the year. They want to get it in there and get it working, which is wise. However, if your projections are wrong and you make too much money and it's either non-deductible or the Roth IRA, you're not eligible, you've, 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 you've got some issues to deal with. In this case, just it's part of your contribution is non-deductible. So you're going to file Form 8606 with your tax return showing that 4230 was deductible but the other 770 was non-deductible. And the reason why you filed this form 8606 is because eventually when you take money back out of your IRA, you don't want to have to pay taxes on that non-deductible piece. Or if you'd ever decide to convert it, you don't want to pay taxes on that piece. Roth IRAs are a little bit different or when you contribute too much and you're not eligible at all. Because on a Roth IRA, if you contribute too much and you don't correct it, the IRS will charge you 6%. Uh, per year, basically on the over contribution for every year. So let's say you put in 5,000 early in the year into a Roth IRA and you just found out now because you're doing your 2012 taxes that you were not eligible or you are not eligible for a Roth IRA. You've got to get it out by the time you file your tax return. And if you leave it in there, the IRS will charge you a 6% penalty every year that it remains in there. So for most people, the deadline to crea- correct er- er- erroneous contributions to Iraq is by April 15th. Now, you get an automatic six-month extension, so technically you could wait till October, but why wait? Fix the problem as soon as you find out about it. So be careful on those contributions. If you're pushing up against the upper brackets, you're married, filing jointly, and you're just gross income is up over the 170 range. You wait until tax time to fund your Roth regular IRAs. So you don't make those mistakes. Um, if you want to get your calls in there, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Next up, I've got another email question. This is interesting. I'm getting this a lot more since people have taken the opportunity on these low interest rates to upgrade their real estate. Somebody upgraded their property, got into a new home a couple of years ago, turned their old home into a rental property and now that two-year period is coming to a close where they still have the opportunity to sell that old property without paying taxes on the gains. So we're going to talk about that. If you want to get your call-five one six-1220, it's 800 516 1220 We'll be right back.
1: This is Money 2.0 on AM twelve twenty KDOW.
2: Into Money 2.0. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you missed the webinar last week that I did on retirement planning and all the things you need to know to calculate the cost and how to figure out what to do with your portfolio, when to rebalance, create the income you need, a couple things. First of all, in, about, in a few days, the webinar will be up, available to download on the website, newfocusfinancial.com, so you can sit and watch it, glass of wine, beer, your own home, or if you want to join us live, Rob Black and I will be at the Tech Mark in Santa Clara Tech Mart in Santa Clara, one of our favorite places to do the events. Uh, Thursday, March twenty eighth. We'll have some hors d'oeuvres, some beverages. March twenty eighth, six thirty p.m. to nine p.m. So if you're, you know, within ten years from retirement, trying to figure out, you know, how to manage your wealth, or if you're about to retire, right in retirement, that's this this event's for you. Uh, you want to check it out? It's free. You just have to sign up and reserve your seat because that one's going to fill up quick. So go to newfocusfinancial.com to to check that out. While you're there, you can also email me a question for the show. And one question I got is: it, This is it was kind of a long email, but a lot of people are had taken the opportunity in the last couple of years as interest rates have been really low to realize, hey, I can get a much bigger house at the same monthly outflow. Because interest rates are so low, so they're upgrading their home. Maybe they've, you know, have had some children. They wanted to upgrade their home, so instead of selling their other house, they turned it into a rental property. And now they're coming on that two-year period, where well, three-year period actually, where if you're married filing jointly and you have lived in the home for two out of the last five years, you have the ability to exclude up to five hundred thousand dollars of taxes. And so the three-year time, it, it, it's it's the clock is ticking to avoid that federal tax. So people are starting to ask, okay, what should I do? Should I go ahead and sell it? Well, look, if, if the three years is about up, should you sell it? Well, if you need the money for something else, in other words, you're, you're not getting a great income from the property. It's not giving you positive cash flow. You've got kids going to college or some other exact need for money that you need to spend it. And, you know, you've looked at refinancing options to improve your cash, situation, then yeah, sell it take that opportunity. If you've got a large gain in the property and you don't want to keep it because you need the money, then sell it. But if all you're going to do is turn around and invest in other real estate, you really need to model it out because look, if you turn around and invest that money into other real estate, yeah, you can avoid the federal tax. What about the state tax? What about going from one place to another that has a low property tax to another place, a new one that has higher property taxes? That's going to affect your positive cash flow. More important part of investing in real estate is making sure you have that positive cash flow. You want somebody else paying off the debt for you, but you need positive cash flow because you're going to have expenses. You're going to have things that you're going to have to do to remodel the house. So don't be so stressed out about it. If you are, you need to say, okay, if I sell this and avoid and get that step up in basis, then here's what I'm going to buy and model it out, look at what the positive cash flow or negative cash flow situation situation is, really figure out if it's a much better deal to do it. So keep in mind that, you know, if you decide to sell it in the future, not sell it while well, the 2 out of the 3 years is up, you could either move back into it later and it's not just 2 out of the next 5 years if you move back into a property it's not as simple as it used to be. It's not just an even two out of the last five years. It's got to be a primary residence for a certain amount of time. It's it's now a more difficult equation. I don't have time in the show to do it. But if you say, you know what, I want to change rental properties several years down the road, you can always do a 1031 exchange and defer the taxes. And by the way, if you're older, if you own the property the right way with your spouse, when the first person passes, the property gets a step up in basis in California. It's community property state. So, don't feel too stressed out about it. Don't make decisions without modeling it. And I do like real estate as long as it's positive, positive cash flow. That's, that's it. Thanks for listening. If you want to find me and my wealth management financial planning firm, go to newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Everybody have a great evening.